Good evening, Newark family, and welcome back once again to our live Friday night with friends. Today is July 31st, 2020, and I am very excited about what we're doing tonight. We have some special guests with us. And so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Reverend Moss, who's going to introduce someone very unique and special in his life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friday Night with Friends. And for me, this is kind of like Friday Night with Family. Brother Booker, I believe you're still on mute. If you could touch that. Uh, our guest this evening is Brother Larry Booker, a longtime friend and associate of mine, uh, from now from Rialto, California. Uh, I baptized this man April the 2nd, 1972, in a cow pond just outside of Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And uh, that's part of the story that we want to, to talk about this evening. Brother Booker, it's good to have you with us. It is very, very good to be with you and with our listeners. God bless you all. Uh, before we get into uh, the story of your coming to the Lord and what an exciting and convoluted points story that is, uh, sometime back, one of your grandchildren, Tristan, was out on bus ministry and was hit by a drunk driver and thrown, what, 75 feet before she hit the ground, something like that? Uh, technically, 93. 93. Yeah. But who's measuring? Yes. Yeah. And uh, several of us have followed the reports, especially in that time when things were so critical. And I was wondering if you could give us an, just a quick update on how she's doing now. Well, she's doing unbelievably, amazingly well. The only uh, aftermath that she has at all is um, a muscle in one eye is a little bit weak. And uh, they've done one surgery, an in-house surgery. And uh, they're going to watch it another couple of months. And they say it might take one more in-house uh, surgery. Because when she gets real tired, sometimes she'll see double out of that eye. But normally she sees fine, but they said it's a weak muscle in that eye. And other than that, um, she's got a perfect bill of health. And um, when she was knocked 93 feet, she landed actually on her head. And um, when the uh, ambulance, everybody came to uh, get her, they would not allow my son, who is the Sunday school director, they wouldn't allow him to ride in the emergency vehicle with his daughter because they didn't want him to see his daughter die before his eyes. That's how critical it was. And uh, the long and the story, short story of it, one of the major trauma doctors of Southern California made this statement when, when, when she pulled through it and she became uh, they, they called her the miracle girl of Loma Linda University Hospital. And everybody, uh -huh. not, we have many people that work in the hospital and, and that word, the buzz was everywhere. They were talking about the miracle girl. And um, the major trauma doctor 
made this statement, said, all I can tell you, and I'm going to use a, a, an ugly little word here, not a cuss word, <laughs> but the doctor, the trauma doctor said, all I can tell you is that girl's guardian angel got the snot beat out of it. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was an amazing miracle. I, I will just, when we didn't know if she was going to live or die, when we didn't know that if she lived, if she was going to be a vegetable, mm-hmm. when we didn't know if maybe she could function verbally, but be paralyzed her entire life, when all of that was totally up in the air. Um, she was under deep, obvious sedation. And um, as with family members gathered as many as could, you know, those situations around her bed and the um, nurses and doctors in and out, in and out. At one point in the emergency room, they literally were 30 people in and out working on her. And uh, so under deep sedation up in ICU, she comes up out of sedation and she starts singing. There's a miracle in this place. There's a miracle in this place. And she sings two or three bars and goes back. And that was God's sign to us. Mm-hmm. She was going to be okay. And she was. It was, a, it was an absolute total miracle. Total miracle. Oh, my. Yeah. So that adds another miracle to the long line of them that have been involved in your life and in the the touch of God. So I remember so easily about when it was, it was Easter Sunday. And uh, it's easy for me to remember that it was April the 2nd, 1972, because that was our son's first birthday. So your spiritual birth there, at least the, the water baptism part of it, is the same as Roy's natural birthday. All these years, I never realized that. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I, I probably forgot it, but that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I looked up, and there was this uh, guy, tall, skinny fellow. He was 5 feet 18 inches, and uh, he first time I'd ever seen him came into the back of the church with uh, a young man that had uh, – had come to church, been filled with the Holy Ghost. I'd baptized him. And uh, I'll just give my first impression of it, get it started. At that point, you can go back or forward or however you want to from there. Uh, But I was taking prayer requests. They were sitting on the back row, which in the little church we were in was not all that far away. Uh, And I was taking prayer requests. I was, along with everything else, it was whole missions. I was leading the service and uh, I asked for uh, if anybody had prayer requests and this fellow put up his hand and said, I'd like to be baptized. Uh, And so I told him, said, well, we'll see about that in a little while and went on to take requests. And that was my first hearing and my first introduction to brother Larry Booker. And, uh, Brother Booker, can you tell us a little bit about maybe what got you there? Uh, and I know there's a whole lot more than we could cram into 30, 40 minutes. So from there. Well, um, 
I will have to back up and, um, but I'll just back up to a certain point. Um, when we met, I was 19 years of age and uh, I had turned 19 in November. I had been on uh, probation with the state of Colorado uh, from the time I was 14. And then I would stay on probation until I turned 21. Fortunately, they allowed me to live in Oklahoma. Uh, they were probably actually happy, happy to see me gone. But um, so I'd been on probation. And um, from the middle of my ninth grade year till uh, a year after I graduated, um, I, was either, I was either drunk or stoned every day, except for one six-week period of time in my senior year. And we would ditch school uh, sometimes two weeks at a time. When I was um, in my grade school years, up until the time of my seventh grade, um, I'm not bragging, certainly, as you can soon tell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my grades were uh, usually straight A's. I might get a B once in a while. But in my high school years, my grade average literally was a D minus grade average. Um, when I graduated, I had one half credit to my good. So being a stellar student was not, was not my uh, main forte. Being a stellar student was not my main forte. So um, how be it, I had uh, repented. I repented New Year's Eve going into uh, the year 1972. And I know there's a lot of New Year's resolutions made, but mine was much more than a resolution. Um, I should have been killed several times, literally. Um, I mean, for kicks, me and my buddies would uh, go out in the prairies and shoot tin cans off each other's heads and cigarettes out of each other's mouths with 22 pistols and rifles. And uh, one time, one of my buddies, just to see how lucky I was, he, um, he took uh, three bullets out of a six-cylinder gun, and he spun it and said, let's just see how lucky Larry is, and he pointed it at my back and pulled the trigger. Of course, I didn't know that for about a week uh, after it was over. And car wrecks and many things. So I'd been, I'd, my life had been spared many times, but just before Thanksgiving, um, uh, which was uh, right after my 19th birthday, I uh, totaled out uh, a Spitfire Triumph car. And from where I'm sitting, I'm looking at our fireplace. And here, a few months ago, my brother gave me the only items left of that car, and that's the Spitfire emblem and the steep belt buckle. And um, that car, I totaled it out, uh, was miserably drunk and stoned. How be it? Um, I, I had been 
it's absurd to, to say this, but it, uh, there is a book on the subject that we talk about later. But I, um, I had been praying, um, reading the Bible. It was hilarious, the stuff we'd come up with. But uh, thinking about God, um, I had quit drinking for a while. I quit smoking for a while, for a short while. And uh, I was living in Denver. Anyway, on this night, when I totaled out that car, I actually was going down to the Arkansas River to watch the sun come up, and I was going to think about God in that miserable condition. And when I came to, I was, I was standing, and uh, I was looking at my Triumph. It was on its fiberglass top. They were splinters, but they were not broke out. The wheels were bent flat. The windows were all tucked up underneath, shattered but not holes in them. The doors were jammed shut. I was standing outside with a uh, bruise on my knee and a cut on my thumb. And I looked up and I saw a police car coming. I looked down. And that long story short, I was when they put me in the police car, the police knew me by my first name. And uh, I've run into those. Yeah. And so... Uh, I began to sob, not because my car was destroyed, but I knew I had, my life had just been spared. I knew that. And I knew I had just talked to somebody that knew everything about me and everything I had ever done and that I had been spared for a purpose. And I, and I also knew I'd heard that voice before, but I couldn't place it. I knew I'd heard it before. So I was crying in the police car because uh, I should have been dead. And I, did, I didn't know much about theology, but I did believe in a heaven and I did believe in a hell. And I knew had I died where I'd have gone. I know that. So when they got in being on probation, they knew I was on probation. My phone had actually been tapped for some time. Um, I just knew I was, it was, don't pass go, don't collect $200, you're going straight to jail. And when they got in the car, they asked me where I wanted to go. And, uh, and Pueblo police are not known for being sweethearts. And I said, I, I, what do you mean? They said, Larry, where do you want us to take? So I had him take me to, me, take me to my cousin Betty's. So that night I was back to drinking. And um, in the courtroom, the judge said it was a miracle. The police that were there said it was a miracle. My parents said it was a miracle. All my friends said it was a miracle that I was alive. Uh, but I went back to what I was doing. How be it, with all that pressing on me on New Year's Eve, I really did repent. And um, I left the party upstairs. I went downstairs, got on my water bed, and I began to pray, ask God to forgive me. I'd never been around Pentecostals. I'd never heard anybody shout hallelujah or anything in my life. I used to go when I was a little boy to a four square church. And it's the, it was the first time 
God ever dealt with me in a church. I went to an altar and I cried and I had no idea why I was going and why I was crying about But I'd never heard anybody there speak in tongues or worship or lift their hands, anything of that nature. So be all that as it may, uh, that night I wept. And, and after a while, while I, was, while I was praying, I began to feel better. And I, I, I mean, I really began to feel much, much, much better. I didn't know what you were supposed to do. But after a while, I, I just, I, I said, glory. And then I said, hallelujah. And it felt so good. And it felt so right. Well, pretty soon I heard people stomping on the floor upstairs. And you could hear them yelling down through the heating vent. You know, Booker, are you all right? And uh, so I, I got myself together. Next day, I uh, went back to Pueblo. I didn't have a car, but this I walked upstairs, and 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 they were starting to come to the guys I was living with, and they said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm going to go to Aspen, Colorado, and I'm going to write my life story, or I'm going to Guadalajara, Mexico, and I'm going to write my life story, or." I'm going to go to Pueblo and go to college and learn how to write. <laughs> they, they, they crashed. They said, you're crazy. I, and they said, how are you going to get out of town? And I said, God will provide me a ride. And when I said that, the, I heard a horn honk. And I looked out the front door and there was an old buddy from Vietnam. His name was Joe. And uh, he'd made a lot of money. Uh, shipping uncut heroin from Vietnam, which we would cut down and sell and buy a thousand lots of LSD and send them to Vietnam and et cetera. So he said, I'm going to Pueblo. Anybody want to ride? So I go to Pueblo. It's New Year's Day. And then uh, that first Monday, uh, I had to go see my probation officer that I'd been seeing since I was 14. And when I went to his office, he asked me if I wanted to go to college, which I do what? So he said, there's somebody anonymously in the city that will pay your way to college. They'll pay all book fees. You will be allowed. They'll give you a college card to eat on if you need that, that's it. And they will pay for dorm fees if you want that. I, I couldn't believe it. I found out years later after I was in church that it was uh, the most well-known well doctor in Pueblo, Dr. Barrows, and I used to go out with his daughter. And I guess he kind of feared maybe someday I'd be a son-in-law, so he'd, he'd try and get me an education if possible. <laughs> so, so there I was and uh, I had repented and I didn't, I was no longer smoking. I was no longer drinking. I was no longer drugging. I was going to college. Um, I really did want to learn how to write. I was taking uh, creative writing classes, two poetry classes, a psychology class and a piano. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, yeah, psychology 101. So anyway, uh, during those days, while I would, I, I would go home and pray at night, 
I got a uh, I got an old Bible at a St. Vincent de Paul store that would fall apart. I thought the more crumbly they were, the more holy they were. So I got a holy, holy Bible. I had a little cross that glowed in the dark. And I would pray. I had no idea what God was trying to do. There were nights he would try to fill me with the Holy Ghost. I didn't know what was happening. I, I would shake. I'd be, try, I'd be calling on Jesus. And I would start stuttering and and I'd get scared, and I'd say, I'd say, Jesus, I don't know what you're doing. We're going to have to do this some other time. And I'd crawl under the covers, hold my Bible to my chest, my little cross glowed in the dark, and there I was. So what happened was I met the truth. Um, I, I, was, I would catch the bus from the uh, North Belmont campus, and I would catch a bus down to the Ormond campus. It was a 20-minute layover. Then I would catch the bus that would take me close to my home. So I, uh, I was at that layover one day. I was watching these guys play foosball. And um, a, a short little guy came up, stood at the far end of the foosball table. And he said, I want you all to know that Jesus Christ is soon to come. Well, they missed their shots. And... Uh, and he turned around and walked off. And I, I thought, I'd like to talk to him. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, go to the restroom. You will meet him there. So I, I went to the restroom. It was a big restroom. I walked to the back. I folded my arms. In about three seconds time, he came walking in. So that long story short, that night, they came and picked me up at my house. And took me to church. It was a little garage uh, church affair. And um, I went. I had my, I was prepared for him. I had two back pockets full of poetry that I had written. <laughs> and they had Bibles. And I had my poems. <laughs> so anyway, after service, we went over to the parsonage, to the house. I didn't know what a parsonage was. We went over there to have fellowship. I didn't know what fellowship was. And um, I've told this a lot, but they, they handed me, uh, it was like banana nut bread without bananas or nuts. And it was dry. And I thought that was fellowship. I really, I'm eating that. I couldn't, it was horrible. And I thought this was fellowship. And uh, so anyway, they asked me if I liked if I liked it, I thought they were talking about the fellowship. And I said, it's a little dry. <laughs> and they were talking about the service. And the service was not dry. The service was tailor-made for me. The guy preached to me. And so that long story short, I was there till 2 in the morning. I, I wore out the saints. They, they left and left and left and left. And, um, and they were pinning me down on repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And I had I, I, I'd learned just a little bit enough of scripture from my reading, and I was I was I was dancing fast on my feet trying to get around it. And there was a brother named Wiley. He was the only one that stuck with me that night. And he had slid down the wall and had his arms folded around his knees. And um, so I had a question 
And I'd say, yes, but what would happen if, and that's as far as I got, and his face had begun to glow. I had never seen the anointing on anybody. I'd never seen Shekinah. And his face was glowing. And before I could finish the question, he gave me the answer. So I came at it another way. He cut me off and gave me the answer. I came at another, and he cut me off and gave me the answer. So I went into this little church, little garage. And this was my problem. What they were stating to me, showing me in the scripture, it made total sense. But I did not want to accept that. I thought, surely, surely. And I remember kneeling down and I buried my head between my knees and I was just crying and sobbing. And I said, oh, Jesus, there's got to be other ways. And I lifted up my head and there was a, like a two by three foot white poster placard. And they looked like, they looked like they had wrote, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with Elmer's glue and put sprinkles on it, glitter, and then shook everything up. So they're in glitter letters with Acts 238. And I'm saying, God, there's got to be, and I'd look up, and there it was, and I'd bury my head. And so that long story short, I backslid from my repentance. I ran from those people, and I ended up as bad or worse than I was before. Uh, and though we had done, sold, and snorted, and all kinds of stuff with heroin and stuff, I had never allowed anybody to shoot up anything in my arms. And that was, uh, uh, I'd made many promises. I, I, I freaked out on drugs in the ninth grade, and I made a bunch of promises one night. Uh, all night long, I made promises to God. And the last one was that I'd never let, I'd never shoot up anything in my arms. So when I backslid, I went back to the old running buddies. They'd heard that I was Christian. Here I was. God had tried, tried to give me the Holy Ghost. I didn't realize that's what it was, but I knew I'd had experience. I knew I'd met something real and powerful. And um, so I'm back to drinking. I'm back to drugging. I'm back to fighting. Now we went back up to Denver. And my old buddy Joe... I had him shoot me up, and he really loaded me up. And he said, I've waited a long time to do this. People were passed out everywhere. And when he did, then he plopped back. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and nothing happened. So after about five or ten minutes, I shook him awake. And I made him do it again. And he wasn't going to, but I made him do it again. And when he did, he was crying. And I found out later it's because he killed his best friend in Vietnam doing the same thing. And he thought he was going to kill me. And, um, and it didn't affect me. So that night, I went home 
back down to Pueblo. And I got by my bed. I was, I was, I was shattered. The sense of utter, absolute, hideous, inescapable hopelessness. I was engulfed in it. I was, I was like Jeremiah sinking in the pit, only it wasn't up to my shoulder blades. It was, it was going past my lips. And I cried and wept. And I said, Jesus, I will do anything in the world for you. Just get me out of here. I'll do anything. And so that night in Bartlesville, our old friend Larry was praying for me. And the Lord spoke to him and said, arise, go get Larry. He's ready now. So him and Steve got in the car and drove all night long. And he called me from his grandmother's the next morning. And when I heard his voice, he said, Larry, I'm in town. I said, can I go home with you? He said, that's why I came. And so there's more to that story, but the rest is history. So that was, we left and we got home in Bartlesville about midnight coming into Easter Sunday morning. It was quite a thunder rainstorm that night. That was my first intro to an Oklahoma thunderstorm. Yeah. Got to church Sunday night. That was my opening salvo. Uh, I'd like to be baptized. And you said, we'll see. And when you preached, I went to the altar and uh, I sobbed and wept for about an hour and a half. Right. And uh, some of the folks there told me later they'd never heard anybody as pitiful as I was. And, uh, and I just felt so hopeless. And you came to me and you said, how do you feel? And I said, I, I just don't know. And you made a statement. You said, you said, do you think maybe God hasn't forgiven you and you haven't forgiven yourself? And I said, I don't know. So when I began to pray again, I felt a heaviness lifting. And so after a while, you came back and said, how do you feel? So I pulled my hair. My hair was down to here. I pulled it out of my eyes. And I said, I think I need a haircut. <laughs> that's, that's when you figured, even this guy must be ready for baptism. So we went out to the Laddermilk's cow pond. Yeah. And uh, when I went under that water, because it was cold water, but when I went under that water, I saw it was like a flashbulb went off in my face. It was a, a explosion of light into that water. And when I came up, I, I should have got the Holy Ghost. I would have. But when I came up out of the water, I remembered how rotten a guy I really was. So that's why I didn't get it. But on the following Friday night, because we had service Tuesday night, Thursday night, and I'm seeking the Holy Ghost like crazy. I'm going to the church in between. Friday night, old brother Hobbs, we had a fellowship meeting at the church. Old brother Hobbs preached on Jesus, the rock of my salvation. And I went down. I told Larry and Eddie, his brother, 
I said, I'm going to go get the Holy Ghost. And I went down and 20, 30 minutes later, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And, and uh, the rest, as they say, is like history. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, one way, one thing led to another. And, and you were so kind and so patient. And, uh, and I'll tell you this, if I would, as you remember, I'd sit on the front row. I had a big chief notebook tablet, number two lead pencil. And this guy that used to, I was in 70 fights from my ninth grade year till a year for I graduated, many of them gang fights. And if my old buddies would have saw me sitting like a little bird on the front row with that big chief notebook tablet and that number two lead pencil, writing down every verse you gave, I would go home. It'd take me a while to find them because I didn't know the Bible. I'd find, I'd read above, I'd read it, I'd read below. I'd write down questions and I would call you several times a day. <laughs> and then finally one day, I, I didn't know that, I didn't, I just thought preachers didn't have anything better to do than just listen to me ask questions. So finally one day you said, uh, why don't you do this? Why don't you read all week, write down all your questions and call me one time a week and we'll go through all of them. I said, well, sure, that sounds good to me. <laughs> And uh, if it means anything in my, uh, I, 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 uh, I, I preach now with my Bible, but I have an iPad that I use because there's like 2,200 messages in there. And if I need to get to one quick, it's right there. Mm -hmm. But be below that, I, for I write notes with, I have a big chief notebook tablet and a number two lead pencil and that's what i use for taking my notes so uh have yeah. gone very far from where you started in some ways uh, you try not to you try not to just keep it simple stupid <laughs> <laughs> what we do but he's been very 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 kind and uh and thank you for the role you played and play in my life and i mean that with all my heart you and sister moss were Literally, of course, you were God sins uh, to me and uh, hence to my family. And we thank God for it very much. Well, we just try to be of use to the kingdom. That's it. That's uh, we're a little past the halfway point here. And I'm wondering if uh, Desi happens to have any questions for us at this point. Has anybody sent in anything? Not yet. I got to tell you, I think we were all so just enraptured by that incredible testimony that nobody thought to do anything. So church family, <laughs> I know we're all spellbound by this amazing conversion story, but now is your chance to submit questions or comments. If you want to interact with these two highly esteemed ministers of the gospel of our movement, now's your chance to ask some questions. I'll tell you what, to kick it off while people are probably waiting and trying to come up with stuff. Brother Moss, are you willing to share a new convert Larry Booker story. Which one? He's laughing, Booker? see, because I figured there's a bunch, just by the way you told your story, because I know enough I, I, I know enough to realize if you've got a testimony in a conversion like that, while your life turned around, I'm certain it did not turn around overnight. Oh, no. <laughs> no. There was, uh, I have a little message I preach called uh, the kingdom is rough around the edges. <laughs> and 
So it was rough around the edges. Yeah. <laughs> I've had it, Brother Moss. You, there's a ton of them. It was, it was rough all the way to the middle. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was. It was. Well, the, uh, the folks here do not realize it, but they've already heard a short uh, story, Brother Booker story, uh, that I told, but I didn't tell who was involved. Some of you may remember a while back that I talked about going down the street to where some of the uh, young people were living. Uh, at that time, it was in a garage apartment. There were, what, yeah. three of you there? That's right. Maybe four. Uh, but, uh, and the young man who was without a job and wasn't looking for a job, but was spending the day trying to, uh, to tune a 12-string guitar that had a crack in the neck. And I told him that he wasn't from around there. No one was going to come knocking on his door at, offering him a job. He was going to have to go look for one. That's a Brother Booker story. I didn't exactly. say who it was. That's exactly right. And I will say this. What I did. Advice, huh? Yes. <laughs> and what I did to get a job, and I've used this advice with people a lot of times. And I, and, I, and I told him, my pastor told me, if you have a job, you have a lot less uh, chance of getting in trouble if you're busy and you got a job. And, uh, and I said, people say, how do you get a job? And I said, well, I'll tell you one way I did it. I started on Main Street, and I would walk to one business. I'd walk in, and I'd ask them, do you by any chance have any employment? And if they said no, which vast then I would go to the next store and I'd go all the way up the street and all the way down the street. I'd go to another business section until I would get some kind of a job. And, um, and, and, and that's, 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 that's the way that worked, but we got started. I think my first, um, the first job that I got for a short time, Oh, my brain has just went dead. The man down the street, he had the paper mill, the trash mill. Bob Feeler. Bob Feeler. He gave me a job. And uh, so I worked for him for a short time. And and uh, then I worked, started working for Eve's Industries. And I made a dollar eighty nine an hour. I got paid every two weeks. So we would... Um, I think my ties figured out roughly about $5 a week. So I'd pay Brother Moss, pay the ties. Towards the end of the week, I'd have to go borrow back the ties because we picked up people for church and didn't have money for gas. So we, I'd borrow back, I'd get gas, we'd bring people to church. Then I'd pay the money back, pay my ties. Towards the end of that week, I'd have to borrow <laughs> but, but God would bless. And uh, and then my wife and I determined this home missions church. I'm, this is not bragging. This is bragging on Jesus. And to anybody out there, I'm just telling you, if this works, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just telling you it works. Uh, after a while, my wife and I said, we're going to pay. Let's pay double ties. God knows this church is small and Moss is not, he was full time. How, how you were full time with 19 people, 20 when she got, when we got married, I, we never could figure out, but you did it. That's another they story. They have to need. So we started paying double ties 
And then God doubled our tithes. Then we did it again. We did it again. And, and God was so merciful that when we left, uh, you told me at one point, and there was a, a great man in that church that just recently passed away that worked for Phillips Petroleum, that I was actually making more money than he was, if I'm not mistaken. When I left, then we started evangelizing and got into the big, big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> About and, like when I was evangelizing. Yes. That was when when I started pastoring our first church, I actually had to borrow money to get off the field. <laughs> <laughs> but God's been good. God's been good. Whenever Brother Booker would be coming over to borrow money, I knew there were sometimes he would come, he and Sister Booker would come to visit, but I knew when he was coming to borrow money because he would stand in the middle of the living room and, and sway back and forth and shuffle his feet, building up courage to again this week ask me to, if I could loan him enough to keep him going till payday. It was so crazy. But I, I, nev I never did mine because he always paid it back. And that's a good lesson for some people to learn. Yeah, it is. That's exactly right. Now, I will tell them one more. This is a funny, but it was one of the best lessons I ever learned. The young man that was instrumental, and in, he drove all night to get me, etc. Mm -hmm. So he's starting to fill me in about church. And in fact, he was the one that first told me about tithing. And it made total sense to me. I thought, well, sure, that makes sense. And uh, but he said he said this is a really neat church. This is awesome. And he said, if you if you have money, when the offering plate comes by, put money in. If you need money, you take it out. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, it works that way. Well, I never did except one day. And Brother Moss, we I had started to preach. And he was so kind, and he was out of town. He was youth president for the district, and he was going to be gone on the weekend. And I'd been preaching some, and and so I had no money, and for a dollar sixty nine, you could buy a really good banana split. <laughs> so I just thought, if you need money, you take it out. That's what Larry told me. But I was going to pay it back, just like if I borrowed from Brother Mark. So I wrote on there. I owe you a dollar sixty-nine. The Phantom <laughs> put the, the note in the offering plate. Well, my real problem hit when the church secretary, treasurer, he came to me that night, and he had this note, and he must have recognized my handwriting or knew there was nobody more stupid enough to do that than me. Well, and that's and that's where it got me, and I said, well. Brother Moss said I could. Well, actually, Brother Moss didn't say I could. Larry said I could. And I had sure hoped that Brother Moss told him. <laughs> so I, I, I knew as soon as I said it, I said, oh, God, what have I done? So I waited for the other shoe to drop. And Brother Moss got back to town. And came a knock on our, our apartment up above the garage down the street. Walked in green. And you said, who's the phantom? I am. And uh, I said, I promise I was going to pay it back. He said, why did you say I said, because he told me I could. 
And so that this was the greatest thing ever happened to me up to that time, except for getting the Holy Ghost baptized. Uh, Brother Moss said, okay, said that you've got up and you've preached to these people. You can get them and also apologize to them. And I thought, oh, my. Now, on that Sunday night before you got back, I was, I was, I was praying at the altar. And the Lord did speak to me. I was praying. And he said, be strong. Well, I didn't know what he meant. I just thought, yeah, I'll be strong. I'll be strong. Well, when he'd asked me to get up and, and uh, apologize to the people, I realized what he was saying, be strong, because I was ready to go to Mexico. <laughs> I said, I can't go to Mexico. So I got up, and I started crying. And I said, if I'm big enough to preach to you people, I'm also big enough to apologize. And I went through the story. By the time I got done, everybody in the church, we were all crying. And, but it was the best thing ever happened to me. It put a holy fear of God with finances into me. I'm, I, I'm just telling you that down through the years, that one single lesson, thank you, Jesus, God used it. And because uh, uh, we've all seen some great people that couldn't handle a dollar and it come and bit them. So by the mercies of Jesus. So thank you, Brother Moss. I appreciate that. <laughs> Sounds like that was an extremely valuable banana split. Yeah. Very valuable banana split. I've never ate one since. I'm teasing. <laughs> if I had a nickel for every banana split I ate, <laughs> But I always think of that whenever I eat one. I promise you, I think of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. What One of the questions that came in, there's no way I can get to them. Now they're flooding in. But I will ask this one because I think it dovetails right into what you just said. What do you consider to be the wittiest or some of the pithiest or wisest things that you have ever heard Brother Moss say? Because he's still known for his one-liners even now. Oh, and you just did. said that if you're big enough to preach, you're big enough to apologize. Yes. Yes. You know, I'll I tell you uh, terms. I find myself to this day now in, in 22, in, in 2022, April, I'll be in this 50 years. Mm-hmm. To this day, I find myself preaching and I can hear Roy Moss. Uh, statements and this and that and this and that and uh, I'm going to attribute some of those coming to, out of your mouth they're coming out of my mouth but the, the, it's, it's his like voice in your head yeah it's like a tranquil uh, tranquil yes and he's got the little dummy on his hand and so here's Larry Booker talking but Roy Moss is still doing it after our 50 years you know <laughs> uh, there's uh, Brother Moss I'm going to attribute this to, there's little phraseologies um, did uh, I hate to attribute this to you, but I've used it for all these years. I think you said one time about something being so simple the village idiot could get it. I don't. <laughs> I hope that was you because I'm sure. And and that but, sounds but, like a Roy Moss. Yeah, and I was sitting on the front row, and I made a very good village idiot. And when you make that statement, I thought I even got that one. And so that was part of the repertoire that 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 stuck with me but i would venture to say 
that uh, the two, the, the single greatest thing that, that, that Brother Moss put into me was the absolute intrinsic, not just value, but necessity of, uh, of giving yourself to the study of the Word of God. That, uh, and in that respect, uh, through the years, I've traveled a lot of places. And, and in fact, last year, the, my GPS at the end of the year on my phone said if I'd have gone about a thousand more miles, I would have went three times around the earth. So COVID has shut that down. But last year, was, I traveled a lot. But so I've been a lot of places, and and the the essentiality of spending time through those years with your Bible and striving to know what you're talking about, not making assumptions, uh, know what you're saying, whence you say it, and and do you have Scripture to back this up? And if you do, okay. But if you're going to presume, you better be smart enough to at least say, I'm thinking it's this way. But, but don't say it is this way if you don't know it's this way. And um, so of all the places I've been, when I look back, I don't think there would have been a better spot on earth, literally, for me to have landed in than Bartlesville under Brother Moss. And uh, it was home missions, but he was full-time. And he did take time. I don't care. I don't care how many people you're pastoring. You have to, to take time for someone. You have to, you have to hew that out. You got to get a machete and hack out uh, time to do anything. And he took time for me, and it was invaluable. And, uh, and then the people that would come by and introduce. And one of the greatest ministries he ever introduced me to, and he told the man to take me under his wing and, and pour stuff into me. It was old brother Henry Ivey. Yeah. And uh, Henry Ivey was one of a kind. And what he taught me in a few days about study, uh, that with Brother Moss, it, it just changed my life. So. Um, but there's, there's, I, I'd be hard pressed to tell you right now, but let me preach a few more times. And if I think of it, I'll stop and I'll write it down and say, that's a word. Mossism. <laughs> that's a Mossism as we have a, a Mossism. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, wonderful. Desi, um, let me take just a moment here, uh, with this book. Uh, I know we're we're not advertising. That's not our point. But I I also know that we just hit a little bit of Brother Booker's testimony tonight, and he has written a book. This was several years ago, uh, but it's the Journey of a Lifetime by Brother Larry Booker. It's his story, how he came to the Lord, and what he told you tonight is mostly in this book. Yeah. And then there's just a whole lot more. And this is available for Amazon. And I believe you've put uh, links and so on. So that I they did. Can... 
And so okay. to our church family, you can find links in our chat description. It's available as a book. It's also available as an audio book. I noticed that when I came on Amazon. Audible is a company owned by Amazon. So if you'd rather just hear his story. Um, do you know who narrated it for the booker? Yes. His, uh, actually, I narrated it the first one. Uh, but there's a young man named Jason Scarda. And I, I, I had him do it. And okay. He's narrated all my books, and Jason Scarta is literally—I'm not just saying this—he's one of the best readers um, I've ever heard. The guy is a fabulous, fabulous reader. Yeah. So Jason it's Scarta. so I'm sure it's a great read as well as a great listen. And in addition, to that, yes, sir. And in addition to that, we also—if you just go to Amazon and you just put in the search bar Larry L. Booker, it will come up with his other books that he has written, and so. We don't typically advertise, and he did not ask us to do this, but if you want to read more of his or hear more of his amazing testimony, I'd encourage you to go to Amazon, and you can, you can find his material there, and we'd happily recommend that to people. We are, I know that we're technically up, well, no, we've got a few more minutes. Let's, let's wrap, I cannot possibly get to all the questions. If it fits your schedule, maybe sometime in the future, we'll have you come back again. We'd be yeah. delighted to do that. But I thought this would be a great one to throw at you as a minister of the gospel, as someone who has had this incredible, radical turnaround in your own life. One of the questions that came in was, what advice could you give us if we were to come across a young Larry Booker, a young man or a woman who has just, if I can say it because you did, just destroyed their life with poor choices? How, how can we reach out to them? What would you do if you came across a young Larry Booker now? That's a great question. And I think it's, especially in the hour we're living in, it's an all-important question. And um, there is a message that I've preached, and I'm not going to preach that message here. But I'm going to say this. Jesus went to the well at Sychar. Here's a woman at the well at noonday. She's there at the wrong time of day. She's a, she is from Samaria. She has the wrong um, genealogy as far as the Jews are concerned. She's got the wrong theology by far. She's definitely got the wrong morality. She's been married four times or five times, and the guy she's living with now, she's not married to. In that for that day and time to be discussing theology with a woman, she got the wrong gender. There was nothing right about that picture. She was not voted the most likely to succeed. But she's the first human being that Jesus ever revealed himself to. First. By directly saying, I am. I am he. When yeah. she, she looks at him, and she says, uh, when Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. And I think she was fishing at that point. And he said, you're looking at him. I'm the one you're looking for. Now, that's, that's amazing. She had everything wrong with her. But that's who he chose. So the title of the message is, You Just Never Know. When it comes to this gospel, when it came to Larry Booker, who would have ever dreamed? 
and I was I was sitting in a restaurant with my mother, brother, and sister-in-law. And that long story short, a woman came up. She looked down. She said, "Are you Larry Booker?" I said, "Yes." And she said, "You don't know who I am, do you?" And she looked familiar. And I said, "I know I'm supposed to." So she told me it was Judy, and I went to high school with her. So she said, are you a preacher now? I said, yes. She goes, are you pastoring in California? I said, yes. She looked at my mother, my brother and sister, and she goes, you do know he was not voted the most likely to be religious. They said, oh, yeah, absolutely. So my whole point is when you're meeting someone like me or if it's somebody driving a Lamborghini, if they're living in a mansion or they're standing on a street corner with a tin cup, Here's the ultimate bottom line. You just never know. It doesn't matter what uh, world they're in. We have a, a lady that, that our branch work in Riverside. They've won a woman. She's baptized. She's full of the Holy Ghost. This woman lived under a bridge for 30 years. Lived under a bridge. She was the shot caller for the people. And they started taking him food, talking to him, giving Bible studies. Now she's baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and loving it. She's went back to see her parents, and on and on and on. So the, the whole point is, when it comes to this gospel, if it's a hippie, a druggie, a drunkard, if it's if it's a rich person, a poor person, ultimately we just we don't know. Who would have ever dreamed a Saul of Tarsus? would become the Apostle Paul. And the, it's, just, it's just endless. So the main thing, it says of Jesus, he opened his mouth and he began teaching. Peter opened his mouth, and the biggest thing the church has to do is just open your mouth and let the Holy Ghost kick in, whether it's a Larry Booker or who it is. Give a portion to seven, give it to eight, cast your bread on the waters, you don't know if this is going to come up good or that's going to come up good or it's all going to come up good. We just we just don't know. So that would be my advice. So beside all waters. Beside all waters. Exactly right. Exactly right. That's some excellent advice. Thank you for sharing that. Bless as, you. We get, as we get to the top of the hour, one, one final question for you, and there are going to be a bunch of people mad at me because I didn't pull their questions. We'll have to have you back another time. But is there, please, is there a favorite verse or passage or, or scriptural mantra that, that you live by, something that encourages you regularly? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, outside, of course, Acts 2.38. The most important verse that I have got in uh, 20 some years, and I got it uh, now, it's about 22, 23 years ago. And um, it, 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 it just helped put in the finishing nails in, in what God was doing in my life, I think. Though he's still working on me, trust me. Jesus looked at his uh, disciples. And he said, as the Father hath loved me. So we stop right there. When we think of the divinity's love for the humanity that he took on, the Spirit's love for the flesh that he now dwelt in, 
and would speak through and would teach and would so the the love of the father to the son the spirit to the flesh the divinity to the humanity this invisible god becoming visible this temptless god now being in all points tempted this eternal deathless god that would now taste death for us and this god who had no flesh and blood now the only innocent blood that ever pumped through a human heart pumped through this man's heart. So Jesus said, as the Father hath loved me, so love I thee. That's mind-boggling. And he either meant it or he was kidding. He's either telling the truth or he's lying. So he's telling the truth. That's how much love he has for us. I'll take this over just a tiny bit. I read up um, three verses later, and um, that's in that's in John 15. And he said, um, "So as I have loved you, so love ye one another." That's the part for 20 years I couldn't wrap my head around. I thought, now Jesus, I can believe your love for me. You said, as I have loved you, so love ye one another. And honestly, for, for the next 20 years, I didn't know what to do with that verse. I did not know. I said, you're going to have to help me because I don't know what to do with it. And here, about two years ago, I'm reading it, and I finally got it. How does he love Larry Booker with such a love? He said, as the Father hath loved me, so love I thee, Larry Booker. How can this be? He loved me in spite of me. And I got it. So we have to love one another in spite of each other. In spite of our idiosyncrasies. In spite of our humanities. In spite of our, of our shortcomings or whatever. We all have them. And he so loved us. We need to love one another in spite of one another's failings. And to me, those two verses are the most profound verses to me personally um, yes. of, 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 of the gospel. They've affected me more. Yeah. Well, thank you for passing that on to us. That is quite a challenge to live up to, isn't it, sir? It is. It's easier to forget than what you think. And I have to stop and say, no, 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 no. You still love me. I'm going to, yes. He stretched himself for me 10,000 times. I can stretch myself with others. Goodness, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Reverend Booker, it has been an absolute delight and pleasure to have you on this broadcast tonight. We could have gone several more hours, I'm sure. Your story is so engaging, and you have such an amazing testimony. And so on behalf of our church family, I just want to say thank you for giving us this time this evening. Well, God bless you very, very, very much. And I'm going to make this statement. This is not an advertisement. I promise you it's not. If some of the people happen to get the book, and they, when you have me back, they want to ask me some stuff out of that. 
they can absolutely. Oh, that'd be neat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and we know you're not trying to make a book sale, but that'd be a good <laughs> point. Any of our church family, if any of you read his testimony, yeah. we'll we'll plan it ahead to have you back, and maybe we'll take a I'll longer Q and A. Even just buy one book and pass it around the church. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for giving us your time. And to our Newark family, I remind all of you that we broadcast every day during this COVID situation other than Monday. So Tuesday through Sunday, we're broadcasting at 7 p.m. And we encourage you to join us. If you're new with us, go visit our website at newarkupc.info and you can submit prayer requests. You can join a small group. You can find more information about our church. You can submit baptism requests. Quick little side note. Not about me, but I do want to demonstrate this to our church family. We don't know who we're reaching, as he talked about, and casting out. And earlier today, my wife and I had the pleasure of baptizing three people in the pool in wow. our backyard who do not attend our church, who are not connected to anyone in our church. But they found us through our digital broadcast and made contact with our church and said, we want to be baptized. So we don't even know what God's doing in this season. So stay tuned, stay engaged, stay plugged in, church family, and don't get weary in well-doing. God bless you all, and have a great night. Good night.